Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back. This episode is how to empower and motivate others for lasting change. This is part two of a two-part series with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Sapna Doshi. So grab your favorite beverage, join us for an honest conversation about the fields of weight management, eating disorders, and really how to promote long-term optimal health. So this, um, our goal in this two-part series is to have these episodes be relevant for individuals, whether you're looking for an empowering healthcare dream team or um, just want to be inspired and motivated to create that optimal health and thrive. We also want this two-part series to be relevant for clinicians or providers who um, work with people on their health, their eating, and or their weight, and they really want to have a full range of options and strategies to help their clients thrive, feel empowered, and feel excited and supported along their journey. So um, this episode's a little bit more geared towards the providers, but I think it will be interesting to folks who are not providers also. Um, So in this part of the discussion, we cover what most people truly want in a provider. Again, this could be a therapist, dietitian, a physician, really anyone who's helping them along their journey. We also cover what people don't want, but as providers, we're often pulled to do. Whether And, and Sapna and I talk about areas where we have messed up. And in hindsight, we had people not really not feeling seen or heard or supported in the way that they wanted to. And so we'll talk a little bit about what that can look like and kind of share a few stories there. We'll talk about the concept of psychological flexibility, what it is, why it can be so crucial um, for providers to work on. And then why working on yourself, uh, your own therapist or provider parts. We'll talk a little bit about, I'm new to the internal family systems model, but I'm finding it really, really helpful in in this area, helping my clients, but also helping myself um, understand myself. And, you know, that self-awareness is so key to continue to guide and empower your clients in the most effective way. So we're going to talk about that as well. And we will touch on also how the framework of self-determination theory can help us understand what truly works 
for motivating and empowering others. And that theory is really what this podcast is all about. Motivation Made Easy is all about that theory of motivation. So very grounded in that and uh, supporting true autonomy. So we'll talk a little bit about some common uh, client or patient concerns or presentations that can bring up a lot of anxiety in providers. And so this could range from seeing people gain weight as a response to intuitive eating um, or the opposite, having a client really want to lose weight um, and wanting to take some different approaches to do that when perhaps their provider is trained and is more used to a non-diet approach. So we talk about um, how to adopt a non-shaming growth mindset when it comes to yourself, especially as someone trying to help someone else versus a fixed mindset. Um, because, you know, when it comes to all things, whether it's making habit changes or working on helping others and becoming a better provider or a better version of yourself, most of us were conditioned into fixed all or nothing mindset. So that's normal. And we can shift towards a more growth-oriented, learning-oriented mindset. It's more motivating. It feels better. Um, but often we need some support to do so. So that's what this conversation is all about. Um, and also, if you haven't heard, if you are a therapist, dietitian, or a helping professional looking to learn more um, and wanting to maybe hang out with Sapna and I, connect with us, um, if this conversation resonates with you, please join us for an upcoming workshop. We have our first one planned for Friday, April 21st from 12 p.m. Eastern Time to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. That'll be it via Zoom. It will not be recorded, so it'll be Sapna and I. So you have our 22 years of collective experience in this field. We've had a lot of different experiences. We will do some teaching, but the one of our biggest goals in creating this workshop and any future programming we do is we want to have an opportunity to connect with people who might be either on their own, working on a clinic without a lot of colleagues, or Maybe like us, you feel like sometimes it's a little hard to find a sense where you really belong in terms of this really nuanced, you know, field of health. And so often things can get polarized. And um, even if you do feel like you have a place where you belong, maybe you're really into the intuitive eating model, which, you know, I certainly love, Subna certainly loves, um, but you're just curious about you know, some other experiences and some wanting to learn some more things. We'll have a lot of opportunity for interaction with us, Q&A. Like I said, we'll be teaching and talking about some of the frameworks that have been most helpful to us. And um, yeah, and we're super excited about it. So again, picture this workshop as an opportunity to just kind of hang out with us. Maybe I, I keep picturing us like in like a, a little little coffee shop like in the corner of a bookstore and just like hanging out sipping on our tea um, and having some of these nuanced maybe difficult conversations but in an environment where it feels really safe where it feels really good where you're not concerned about asking the wrong question or getting um, offending someone we're just there to learn and get curious all together about you know how to best help people in front of us that we're working with but also how to best look at ourselves and and heal any parts of ourselves or kind of just get curious about what gets brought up in ourselves when clients say certain things or when they um, have certain goals that they have or, or certain things that they're struggling with so we hope you join us um, if the date has passed 
please make sure to go to drhondorp.com forward slash workshop and you can just sign up for free to be notified about when we do programming like this in the future. So um, in the, both of those links are in the show notes. Make sure you check that out and we can't wait to see you there. All right. And so um, just as a reminder before we dive in, this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be used as any form of um, professional advice. If you're looking for support, please make sure you seek out a professional to figure out how this information applies to your specific situation. Thanks again for being here, and let's dive in. All right, so welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today we have part two, I would say, of somewhat of an ongoing, really just a long ongoing 10-year conversation that I've had with my good friend Sapna Doshi. So Sapna and I are back. I got my coffee. I don't know if you have a beverage over there, but we're just going to continue to chat, have you as the listeners be a bit of a fly on the wall to our conversations. But this one, if you caught the conversation last episode, it was um, some of the things that Sapna and I talk about um, often behind the scenes, and we're just bringing it out into the podcast. And that's similar today um, with a focus on how to really empower and motivate others to lasting change. And, you know, this conversation, I think, will be incredibly relevant to people in the helping profession. So therapists, dietitians, um, anyone in the medical field helping, trying to help people make really any behavior change, but with obviously we're focused here on health behavior change and improving their, their eating and relationship with food. Um, but at the same time, I actually do think this conversation might be interesting to those of you who are from the patient or client side, just to get a little sneak peek into their realities of your helping provider. Um, and along that lines too, I think it's actually pretty relevant for those of us who are parents, but even just those of us who have a loved one that we care about, who we would love to see make a change, right? So I do think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways you can apply what we're talking about today with really what we're talking about is like human connection um, and and how change happens. So super excited to dive in. Welcome back to Sapna. Thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation as well. I think it'll be really interesting. And as always, when we chat, we'll come up with some interesting conclusions at the end of this, and hopefully it'll be helpful to others. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so what what I want us to start the conversation on, and I know we talked a little bit about this beforehand, in thinking about how we show up for our people, whether that's as a provider, or just in any way, um, we want to first think about like what we actually want in in a provider or helping profession. So, let you want to start. Like, what do you what do you want when you think about when you're going to see someone who's going to help you, whether it's a doctor or a therapist or a dietitian? Like, what do you want? What are you hoping for? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been very open about how I go to my own. Um, I've on and off been in therapy myself. And I think it's helpful for therapists to be in therapy um, for many reasons. We won't get into all of that. But anyway, (laughs) I I think 
you know, in, in working with different therapists, me being the client, I mean, first and foremost, what's always been super important to me is just what I think about as the basics of what we learned in grad school, which is just like empathy, validation, and active listening. And there are therapists who are not always prioritizing that. And sometimes myself, you know, I have a client in front of me and I'm like, okay, here's the issue. How do we solve the problem? And that's really uh, not the therapeutic experience I want as a client. I don't want to be seen as a problem that needs to be solved, but I really want to be seen and heard. Um, With that said, I think that that only goes so far. I also want a therapist that's going to observe patterns in what I'm saying that I can't necessarily always see myself objectively and be able to challenge me in, in thinking about things in new ways. And I think the combination of that is truly what I'm most appreciative of in a in a therapist mm-hmm. yeah and actually didn't you watch the documentary that stuts with um Jonah Hill and his therapist and um I have also watched that and it was highly recommended to me to watch that by well you and um someone else and uh wasn't it like you know we go to our friends and we want like empathy and they tell us what to do but then we go to sometimes we go to our therapist and we just get all of this empathy and unconditional regard, positive regard. And like, oh, that must be so hard. And you're like, tell me what to do. <laughs> like, So you, you, I totally agree. You want someone who gets you where there's empathy. There's like kind of that basic connection and like feeling heard and seen and believed for your experience. But then also, particularly in the therapy relationship, you're like, I'm coming to you. Maybe there's sometimes when you just want empathy in therapy, like you're just like, I just need space to process. But usually, and I've definitely had this experience too, where you're like, I want some direction. I want some guidance. I want some feedback on patterns, not necessarily what to do, but what's happening. I want some help navigating this and um, how frustrating it can be when that's not the case um, because it can be hard to find the right fit it can take a while. Yeah. And it, it, it can. And um, I know one thing you talk a lot about is autonomy. And I think that's something that's so important for me to find in a therapeutic dynamic too, is just having someone um, say, Hey, this is your life. Like, here's what I'm noticing. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's some suggestions of things you can do differently, maybe what, how do you feel about that? But checking in with me and really letting me decide for myself, I've been in therapeutic dynamics where I felt like there was something being pushed on me and it, and it really backfired. Like I didn't feel connected to that person. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm remembering a specific instance where I've given specific advice to like leave town when a certain person was coming into town who wasn't maybe the best person for me to be spending time with and while that advice came from a good place like I felt super like well I'm not gonna do that so I'm just gonna like not be honest with you and then yeah it severs that connection and it no no good came of that so yeah yeah that was a long time ago but (laughs) but I still remember it yeah. And it's hard. I mean, on the therapist side of things, like, 
I know we're going to dive into this more, but we have our own emotions and we care about our clients. And so sometimes that can influence what, what we end up saying and impact um, the client's experience and feeling pressured or feeling like they have to do something. But to your point can lead to not them feeling like they can't be really honest with us. Right. Yeah. Right. Or that just that, or like you were saying, feeling maybe you can still be honest, maybe, or maybe you start to minimize that thing that you're feeling pressured on. Like you don't talk about it as much. Like, even if it's something like, um, if we make it really tangible, feeling pressured to eat in a certain way, right. Even if it's like someone's super restrictive and you're like, I'm feeling this pressure from this therapist. Like she keeps telling me I got to eat three meals a day and I got to have these snacks and I'm not doing that. So it could be really well-intentioned pressure because someone's really anxious about your nutritional state. And, um, but then we can all experience what it feels like to feel that pressure when you're like, I'm not quite ready. I'm not quite there yet. And that can be, that's that severed connection with your therapist, which is a problem. I mean, that it can be, especially if it doesn't get repaired. Yeah, I I immediately, as you were saying that, was thinking about anorexia, and we treat a lot of that at my practice. And when you have a client who's struggling with that, I mean, there is this sense of urgency and anxiety that a clinician can have as you're worrying about the health and safety of your patient um, and their medical stability. And so, you know, I've had instances where I've really pushed the food and eating and uh, meal, tra- you know, how many times are you eating a day and weighing the patient and all these things. And um, there's a clear agenda there, right? But it has backfired for sure. And so, so much more careful when working with that, um, with someone who has anorexia, just because um, y- you also, I mean, as much as those things are important, you also need to create the space to hear the patient out and understand why this is an issue in their life and what's mm-hmm. what are the emotions that are going into it. And just, again, having that space to be heard and, and ultimately letting them decide, you know, how they mm-hmm. want to, it's a, it's a tricky little dance mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, but. Yeah. And maybe that's ones. like, I know we're kind of just having this conversation, but I wonder it might be helpful for the listener if like, we kind of have like one or maybe two examples of like, I think we could keep that in mind as we're going through like what people really want and what therapists accidentally do or, or other helping professionals to impair that process. Um, really coming. I think that's a lot of what happens with, with therapists. And, and when we get in our own and our clients way is like, it always comes from a good place usually, right? Like we're trying to help or, sometimes it comes from our own stuff but yeah yeah absolutely and I um you know this can vary a little bit I think we're focusing so much on the therapy experience because we have so much experience with that on both sides um but but also it can it can vary a little bit depending on the the type of provider we're talking about um I think sometimes at least for me I know when I'm going to a medical provider I definitely want to feel seen, heard, and understood, but if it's a simpler thing, um, like just give me the antibiotic, I'm obviously going to be probably less concerned about, although, I mean, even that you want to make sure they have your best interest in mind and that you can talk about any concerns, but, um, 
So it might be a little bit less, but I think the cool thing is for helping professionals and medical providers, I mean, they do have less time, but sometimes it's just making sure that connection is still there and that severed can go a really long way for someone to feel like they have Mm -hmm. full autonomy with their, their medical person. But yeah. We have, um, we was one of the co-occurring conditions we see with a lot of eating disorders is um, GI related concerns. And when you were talking about that, what came to mind is um, this one um, nurse that we send a lot of clients to uh, just because of her clinical rapport, um, patients feel comfortable sharing that they have an eating disorder. So if they're having reflux or something, they're not going to be able to easily go on, on an elimination diet or a restrictive diet and just making sure that that therapeutic alliance feels safe and warm for a client to share whatever can be so useful for a medical provider, but mm-hmm. um, it can fine. But I think as therapists, we can try to do our best to vet some of these providers out there and um, yeah. Hopefully, helping are are tuning into doing more of this type of therapeutic work in the short periods of time that they do have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the one thing I wanted to mention, like a very pretty long time ago, an old mentor said to me, like every client has an idea of who they want you to be when you walk into the room, or when yeah you walk in or they walk into the room with you. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I remember at the time that was my first clinical experience. It was at Penn, and uh, I was just like, "I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't really get it." <laughs> it was just a little too. I wasn't. I was like, "Just what strategy should I use?" <laughs> so early in my training, and that's. Uh-huh. I was like, that just kind of freaks me out. <laughs> but now I'm like, "Oh, that's so true," and and that's what we know is like so much of whether therapy works well and getting people to a healed state has to do with the therapeutic relationship and so little I put it in our notes but I can't remember what the exact stat is but I think it's like 70 80 percent of the effect is like therapeutic relationship in like 10 or 20 yeah. strategies is that right that's the numbers is I that right around there I, I'm not sure about the stats either myself but but I mean ever since we've been in grad school I think steadily shown over the years, right? That uh, the therapeutic alliance is what the the most important factor in determining how clients feel about their experience and their outcomes. Yeah. 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 So what doesn't feel good, you, I mean, we said advice, judgments, obviously, Um, perceived judgment, right? It could be something else, but like judgment or like, "Mm, I don't know if that's a good choice and yeah the other piece that's felt bad to me in the past is like when it's when a therapist maybe because I've been so cognitive and intellectual about these things like a therapist who would stay at the cognition thought level and um or would be like we'll go like listen to this podcast or something or like I've they would just feed me more of what I'm already doing which I'm like well I already cope like that (laughs) I already cope by trying to understand and listening 
And so someone who wasn't able to kind of meet me where I'm at, but sometimes it was like, I had a hard time sharing that, but someone, I just wanted someone to intuitively see where I needed to go and, and help me guide there. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I was thinking about um, a therapeutic experience I had where it just was, you know, in the middle of the session, they wanted to do like a five minute, close your eyes and walk me through this exercise. And I was like, I learned that in grad school. Like it just didn't feel, uh, it felt very manualized. And I think that's a pet peeve of mine is when someone's giving me a manualized treatment or something and not tailoring it to me. And I, I had another therapist that was just amazing and, and, you know, would make me, if they noticed I was feeling some sort of emotion come to the surface would just keep an eye on the clock and say, for a minute, I just want you to sit with what's coming up for you. I'm going to time it. It was really uncomfortable for me in general to sit with my emotions, but someone who was able to notice what I was doing in session and just seeing that emotion come up and just wanting to talk through it forced me to slow down. And it was really applicable to me. So I, mm -hmm. I really appreciate that too. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. But feeling like, again, feeling really seen and believed and, and sort of understood and then also guided. Okay. Here's a suggestion, but it's like, if you come to the suggestion or if the suggestion feels like it's a mismatch, right? Like if it feels like, wait, I learned that in grad, like, weren't you listening? I already know all the strategies, right? But um, yeah, it's, and some of it is just, and, and this goes without saying for you and I, but I think just for the people listening, like, we are all you and I are working on this all the time too like we're not like we are the perfect therapist and we we work on our own stuff personally which I think helps us to show up um as better versions of ourselves as as therapists but um it's not like we've never done any of these things like I guarantee I mean many times there's been times where I'm like oh that was a mismatch for that person like it did not land well and I've done the thing that I think is annoying which is like listen to this podcast. And I think some people do really appreciate that, especially when it feels super tailored to them. But I've ex like recommended books, even intuitive eating. And I've had a couple of times people be like, this is not my experience. Like you don't know me at all. And we were able to sort of process it, but like, that doesn't feel good. Right. It's like, they're like, you're no, that's not me. Like, I'm not, I don't need that book. And you know, yeah. we can, but so, you know, us uh, too. <laughs> I can we could probably write a whole entire book on all the ways in which we've like missed the mark on what yeah. we've been done but I think um you know what I've really learned I know we're going to talk more about this is the psychological flexibility and the therapeutic alliance and so really creating a safe environment where we can check in with clients be like how did that land was is this what you need are we going in a direction that feels good right to you or do we need to change things up and having a discussion around that is so useful um, yeah so I'm gonna have you define for people psychological flexibility because people probably don't know what that means and sometimes I don't you don't have to know the official definition but like what do you mean when you say that yeah it's so <laughs> we it, it it's a combination of all these different um aspects of acceptance and commitment to essentially say like, how can we hold things lightly and 
think about the context that we're in and show up in the ways that matter to us um, based on that context. So what's going to be most helpful for this situation? And can I show up and, and practice doing what matters to me right now? Uh, based on this situation, based on what's coming up for me right now in this moment. Mm -hmm. But if we're so rigid to our identity or how we think or how we do things, we can really be doing ourselves a disservice or um, in terms of this therapeutic alliance and uh, the work that we're doing with uh, clients, uh, if we're too rigid, again, we're, we, we can really miss the mark if we're not mm -hmm. flexible. So the context being this patient, what they're coming in with, um, mm -hmm. and really staying flexible to, to, okay, what, what needs to be done here? Yeah. And I wonder if it's worth making like a tangible example of that. And I know we talked last time about, like, I don't want to, we're always, we're, we're talking in these discussions about like the two sides, but the example that comes to mind most readily for that is someone who comes in kind of as a provider fused with like, I'm an intuitive eating provider, right? Or I'm a weight inclusive provider. I don't, I don't push weight loss, right? And I don't promote weight loss. I forget the wording, but you know, many of those providers, if you talk to them, they're not anti or against weight loss, but they can get so fused with this identity of like, so if a client brings up weight loss, that can create a lot in the provider that then the client could pick up on right so it could create anxiety of like how do I respond to this so I don't cause more harm to them um so yeah is that a good example in your mind of what we're talking about when we think about like holding our identity and our thoughts and our emotions lightly as we show up in this way not necessarily then doing the thing that we said earlier feels really bad to the client, like pushing. No, 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 no. We cannot do that because you're recovering or because dieting always fails. Right. Or because like, I can't let you go down that path because you could yep. be harmed. And I feel anxious about if we take that path that I would be responsible for that choice. Right. Yeah. That's a perfect example. And it's, Part of this process is understanding and being mindful and aware of all of the things coming up inside of you. So your, as you said, your own anxiety, your own fear, um, your identity as a provide a certain type of provider, and what that provider needs to be doing in session can be these like, rule based thoughts that come up about how you should be performing or acting or what you should be saying in this context and. It's fine to have all of that. I mean, I just want to hold it lightly. It's going to come up automatically it's saying, okay, can I hold that? And then come back to the this context with this patient and hear what they're saying and really kind of show up as, um, as a clinician that you want to think about your values. Like what kind of clinician do you want to be? I want to be someone who listen, like is validating. I want to be present. I want to hear what the patient says gets curious and stay there instead of like getting tied up in the stuff that's coming up for you. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. And, and I think most of us as clinicians can relate to that to an extent where in that, as you know, and as I've been talking about the 
the model that I've found really helpful lately is the internal family systems or IFS model. And like, I may have a part of me, uh, I would say at this point in my career, I'm not too anxious having the weight loss conversation. And, and maybe there's another part of me that's, that I need to work on that. Right. Like, it doesn't mean that that's right. Um, I don't particularly get that anxious having those conversations because I trust my client to mm-hmm. cue me in and we'll figure it out what's right for them. But, um, but there is, yeah, that part that gets sort of like, I can't, I can't, um, yeah, I can't, I can't, I, it would be my fault if I let some, a client go down the wrong path for them. Like, over responsibility um and it comes from this deeply deep desire to help and say like you know and a a lot of times people that get into the the roles of whether it's therapist or dietitian or helping provider that is way inclusive they've they've seen a lot of harm or they've been a recipient of harm from diet culture or from weight bias fat phobia shaming so they're like, I don't want it. It's, I can't watch you go through it for, I went through it for X amount of years. Right. And I want you to get there faster. I think most of us can relate to that, but it's like, then you try to over control versus like, let someone have the path that they're going to have. And that can sometimes, I don't know if it makes it worse, but it definitely doesn't feel good when any of us are trying to, to feel controlled. And so we're not, well, yeah, feel pressure. I'll just say it like that. Yeah. I mean, I think sitting with uncertainty is hard for all human beings, right? And in yeah. the therapeutic context, like the uncertainty of not knowing how this is going to play out for a patient can be really scary, right? You may feel like someone will blame you later down the line that you didn't step in and do the right thing. Um, yeah. And so- I think that can be hard. And I think clients are sometimes really scared too and looking to clinicians to give them the answers, as you said earlier. And uh, I think it's so important to sit with the discomfort and um, explore and get curious and do experiments and try things out and see what's working, what's not working and adjust from there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you, you pointed to some really important things of like just noticing what's coming up inside of you and understanding if if what you're doing in therapy is a reaction to your own stuff or your own history um, versus what the client's presenting you with. Right, right. And, and a lot of times if we're getting overly, if we're like not feeling pretty grounded and calm in a session, it is, it is almost always our stuff. I mean, yes, there's some inherent uncertainty, but I think like it is still our own stuff that has a hard time sitting with that uncertainty. So if you're getting, you and I have worked on and maybe we'll eventually share it more, more openly, but like with ourselves having some check-ins before seeing a client and like some journal prompts and just quick check-in, where am I at? How am I feeling? And same after, like, I guess it's too extreme to say it's always your own stuff. But if you're pretty worked up, it's usually something about you that they're, maybe they're struggling immensely. Maybe going back to the example of anorexia that can be so medically intense and crucial. 
like mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that that's not scary or real, but it is still eliciting something in you because not every provider has that exact response to that type of presentation, mm-hmm. right? And so it's something about what it's, do you feel like you're capable? Do you feel like you can handle it, right? Do you feel like you are competent in this area and, you know, and if not, that's something to look at and to say like, hmm. and that's about, that's all about you, <laughs> not, not the actual person in front of you or the facts of the situation. Exactly. Yeah. And that is, it's so challenging to do that work and, and to be, there's so much to be aware of, right? There's a, a lot to be aware of that's happening inside of you. What are you observing and noticing a client saying or or not saying in a in a session? Their nonverbals. Uh, there's there's so much present moment focused. Foc- uh, there's so much awareness that you have to have and focus you need to have in a session. And when you're seeing like eight clients in a day or six clients in a day, however many clients, it's it's hard. It's really, really hard. And so, um, as you were saying, something you and I are working on is really like doing a little check-in before session, um, to prime us to be thinking about, uh, what's coming up for me. How can I be aware of when that's showing up for me? How can I set it aside? How can I stay present focused on what the client's saying? And then checking in with ourselves afterwards, you know, where did, where did my stuff come up in the session? And is there some repair that I need to do because of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is, yeah, and it's hard work. And always like, it's an opportunity to go deeper with our own work, which is, you know, cool to an extent. But like, also sometimes you're like, uh, haven't I done enough of that? But it's always like, it's almost always another like level to unlock. Oh, all right. I guess we got more stuff to work on. Okay. <laughs> and I have realized though, is like when we go deeper into our work, it really, it makes our work with clients so much more meaningful and deeper as well, because I mean, what, what we're learning, like we're, we're humans, just like our patients are. So we can relate, we can relate to what it's, how hard it is to sit with the discomfort of whatever's showing up and mm-hmm. to try doing something differently. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's always worth it. You never like, I've certainly never regretted like getting curious and processing my own stuff, but in the moment, sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, well, especially when it comes up as like a, a, a trigger and a stronger reaction you're like oh, I thought I dealt with this <laughs> but there's always unique ways that I mean whether we're talking about the therapy relationship or just anything in life you're like okay for for me parenting is probably one of the biggest ones lately but you're like oh okay well good to know <laughs> I guess I'll work on that <laughs> or actually a uh, marriage too like oh all right good to know yes I'll work on yeah. that Right. Relationship stuff can really bring a lot of this to the surface. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, just to kind of like summarize a little, well, I don't know if summarize is the right word, but like you and I both were trained in acceptance and commitment therapy. You've stayed a little bit more on 
like, I mean, you've really enjoyed that, that work and you've continued to get additional training in that I've done. I've been more of a dabbler. <laughs> I've done some commitment therapy, CBT, like now IFS, now more trauma somatic informed, not that you haven't done that, but ultimately it's kind of coming up with a framework that makes a lot of sense to you and can help you to continue to check in with your own, with your own stuff. Cause again, going back to, if it's majority therapeutic relationship, I think as it's tempting as a provider and especially a newer provider to like learn all the things and like kind of, I mean, I definitely did that same exact mentor was like, he was kind of annoyed. You could tell that he's like, I'm like, but I just learned act and it's, I'm going to do act with this client acceptance and commitment therapy is act for those that are listening. And he's just like, whatever, like, I don't know. He just wasn't doing it for a while. And I'm like, but it's, it's, I just need the right strategies so I could be really good. And it's like, well, that'll get you like 10% of the way, but it actually won't help if you deliver it in this like anxious, graspy grad school way. That's true. Yeah. 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 The the other framework that we talk about a ton on this podcast that has been super helpful to me, it just makes so much sense to me, but it really makes sense to me in the health arena, um, is the self-determination theory framework for understanding like internal motivation and how we foster it. And so those three key psychological needs that we talk about pretty often on this podcast of autonomy, freedom of choice without excessive pressure. Um, Really like that's, I mean, I think that's so crucial, right? Like a lot of people talk about supporting autonomy and they want to support autonomy, but the reality is particularly for our clients who are really attuned to their provider. And like, I can tell this, Providers are really uncomfortable when I talk about, I don't know. I mean, I guess we could just throw out examples, right? Of like weight loss surgery, weight loss meds, you know, doing a new eating plan that might seem sort of like a drastic change, um, anything, um, or even I would say the opposite for, for folks that are coming at it from a more weight loss focused world, right? Where clients coming in are like, I'm doing intuitive eating. Some weight gain has occurred. I'm not thrilled about it, but I do feel like this is the right path for me. And I feel good about my path. Like those providers being able to hold their space and be like, you can get curious and be like, yeah, are you feeling good? Like just asking questions, but not feeling that responsibility. Like I need to direct, I need to come in. I need to prevent a bad thing because you and I have talked about that in terms of like all of us have our biases but I think that that watching weight gain occur for some people for some providers they can get stressed like am I this am I doing something wrong by not like intervening and helping yeah I've definitely had those fears um you know I've had clients that have worked with a dietitian and myself and dietitian being um, really focused on using intuitive eating as uh, uh, an approach with the client and the client having gained weight over time onto the doctor's office and noticed that 
come back and I, I noticed my own anxiety right away and saying, okay, this is a problem. This is a problem. What, what are we going to do about it? And wanting to, to be like, it's because of intuitive eating or, you know, but it, it's been such a learning process to kind of notice all of that and again, hold it lightly and come back to the client and really ask them like, okay, how are you feeling about that? And uh, what, if anything, do you want to do from here now that you know what your weight is and, um, and how can I support you in where you want to go from here? Um, And let's discuss since in terms of your overall Right. And you, oh, we didn't talk about this before, so I don't know how much you want to share about like your own personal like experiences and why you, but like you have reasons why that have nothing to do with that client, that that activates some more anxiety for you specifically. Right. Yeah. You know, we, my family, I think South Asians in general, my parents' generation uh, came here as immigrants and um, exposed to like a lot of fast food and it was fun and cheap and there wasn't as much nutrition data out there or knowledge or, that was being passed around and just seeing like my the consequences of um, weight gain and uh, food related choices and lifestyle factors over the years for many South Asians of my parents generation and and the medical consequences that they've had to deal with over the years is just anxiety inducing and mm-hmm. and knowing that I also am prone to a lot of those um genetic kind of medical issues so it's always been a marker in my mind of like okay well, if you're seeing this trend go in this direction there's a history of like medical issues following. I know now from a lot of education that that's not always the case, but it is an, an, an emotional reaction at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, I appreciate you sharing that because we are emotional beings, right? And so all of us as providers bring that to the table to, to different degrees, right? And so um, if we think about the client and how they may be feeling totally good about intuitive eating most people that gain at least that I've worked with that gain some weight with intuitive eating have some mixed feelings about that understandably so in our world right they might be feeling totally good about it there's more than likely though there's just multiple parts of them that like are like I feel pretty good I'm excited that I'm feeling more free I'm not binging anymore like there's a lot of good and also there's another part of me that is also anxious about my health and worried, maybe let's just say, for example, and if they're picking up on a lot of that in their provider, they're going to, depending on their own personal tendencies to share or align, like they might hide some of those parts of themselves from the provider because they're like, well, I can tell that they also are kind of anxious about this. So like, we're going to go down this path of like problem solving and like, okay, we got to get it together and get my health under control. But it's all from this, again, graspy, anxious place when really like all of those desires are allowed. And so I think being careful as providers to not play up because they're especially, I think all clients, but 
there's just some that are going to be even more in tune with like your nonverbals. Like if you don't work through your stuff as a clinician, your clients are going to pick up on it to an extent and they may interpret it wrong, but they may also interpret it right. And um, that could perhaps keep them feeling like stuck or unseen when they, I think it's very normal to have mixed feelings about this process with eating and weight, especially as we think about some degree of healing an eating disorder or disorder relationship with food plus health goals, which I would say almost everyone has a little bit of each. <laughs> like it could be a tiny dose of the disordered eating or, or a larger one, but it's almost, yeah. at least they don't come to us if they're like, I'm just making these health changes, then it's just not relevant. They don't need to see a therapist, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's true. Like I, this, uh, one patient, I actually several patients that I've worked with have, you know, worked with myself and maybe a dietitian and started down like intuitive eating and, um, you know, have brought up casually in conversation, like I've gained weight and I am having bad, like negative body image thoughts. And I know I'm not supposed to think about weight loss. And I'm just, I, that always just floors me because there's, it's not right or wrong to have thoughts or feelings about weight loss. It just is, they're just thoughts and they're feelings and you should mm -hmm. feel free to do that with any provider. So the minute I hear something like, I know I'm not supposed to think about weight loss or talk about weight loss, I like to get in there right away and make that corrective uh, experience for them and saying, no, like you're, you're allowed to talk about anything and everything here and trying to understand where that came from, where they thought they they weren't allowed to. It was mm -hmm. one thing if they, said, if they say something like, I don't necessarily want to align with those thoughts and feelings. Cool. We can talk yeah. about that. Right. Um, but to feel like you're not allowed to is, is certainly problematic. Right, right. Well, I think that that's, and I, I, I really don't think that anyone in the intuitive eating world is trying to have people feel that way. And you and I have talked about this too, how, and I don't know why this is, if it's like social media or if, I mean, I don't know exactly why this occurs, but it's very common for people to be like, I know this isn't what we're doing, or I know like. I'm, I'm doing it wrong, but I think that's more the conditioned lack of trust that so many people have been like, you clearly don't have the answers for this. Like, look at you're you're failing and they've internalized that. And so they look externally like, well, how do I do it? When so much of this is bringing back that self-trust. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that was just something that I, that I thought of as you were saying that. Right. I mean, this is all very complicated and, and I think requires a lot of, um, as you were saying, as you were saying earlier, just a lot of reflecting internally and thinking about how you're showing up, what messages you're sending. Um, I think one thing too, is like, if you market yourself or align yourself with a certain type of approach is like also understanding what that inherently brings with what someone's assuming about your services and your yeah 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 that's a, I mean that's a great point and that's the thing that you know I think both of us and I know that's probably one of the things I feel most passionate about is and, and sometimes I even doubt myself but like 
from the way I experience the field, it is so, cause I've had these, I, I, as we talked about last time, like I think, and you have too, like I've had extensive experiences in the bariatric surgery world, in the preventive cardiology weight, uh, not weight, uh, whole food, plant-based um, lifestyle medicine world and mm -hmm. in the eating disorder recovery, health at every size, intuitive eating world. I don't know. I, I always like feel like I'm missing some worlds, but like, it just feels like there's not a lot of respect and overlap across the worlds. And I just don't think that that makes sense to me. <laughs> um, and, and I think as a provider wanting to, like, we all want to feel secure and safe and like, and feel good about what we're doing. Like who doesn't like I'm doing it, I'm doing it right. Right. Like I'm really helping people and I'm not doing much of any harm and, and we want to feel secure in that. But I think the reality is um, it's a very nuanced process to meet humans where they're at. And so I think what you and I, our goal in like having this conversation is just like reducing shame from all sides and also knowing it's super normal to like judge people who aren't exactly aligned with you. But like, if we keep doing that, it's, it's just not helpful. And, and what you and I want to promote moving forward, and we're not exactly sure what that'll look like, but maybe doing some workshops on this topic, but ultimately having some either, it might be like a safe community space, kind of like what you've created at your practice, but where people can check in and have someone who you know is not going to shame you for having a certain reaction um, that you can process and be like, help me see my blind spot here because, you know, yeah, you can, you can go to therapy and know what your blind spot is through that. But I think also as providers, like there's some unique concepts specific to the eating and weight space and world that, um, it's like very understandable that like we have these, these reactions, yeah. but having that, like how cool it would be. And you and I have this in each other and you have it at your practice, but how cool to be able to, um, but I think even at, like when I was in, in your meetings at your practice, like there is still a little bit of like, even though you know, it's safe, you're like, I don't want anyone to like think I'm doing harm or to think that I, I remember like for clients that pursue weight loss surgery and I'm like coordinating care. I'm like, just so you know, like I didn't push, I don't say this, but it, essentially I'm like, just so you know, I didn't tell them to do this. And it's like, first of all, they didn't ask that. Like, but it, like, I just don't want anyone to ever think that I'm doing harm to my clients. Like that would be so painful. And perhaps that's because I want to be right. seen and viewed. And some of my worth is maybe too much tied up in me being a good therapist, right? This idea of unconditional worthiness, but, um, but, but that's, yeah. that's okay too. Like most of us were conditioned to have our worth be tied up and I'm mm -hmm. actively working in that all the time. Like, what if I do mess up as a therapist? Like, can I still mm -hmm. be a good human? Yeah, I think so. But sometimes emotionally it's hard to get there. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I, I love that example and um, that you just shared. And I think that's what we're trying at, at our practice. Certainly there are folks that were trained in behavioral weight loss and bariatric surgery and folks trained more in like intuitive eating who are, 
who really promote uh, health at every size. And um, it, it, there is a tension there at times for sure, but it's creating this environment. I think that you and I want to try to create more broadly um, in the field is just an area where we can all come together and respect each other as uh, professionals and learn from each other and ask questions and get curious and present mm-hmm. uh, points from all different sides um, and stay open to hearing about that. And I will say too, like there, it's absolutely not problematic if you are someone who wants to market yourself as a, I am this type of provider. I focus on behavioral weight loss and weight loss surgery, or I'm intuitive eating um, a professional and come from a haze. Mm-hmm. That's great. Cause you will, there are people who are absolutely going to need that from a clinician. And that's wonderful. I think what we're trying to do is just create a space for professionals who, who really want to work with all different types of folks and be able to be flexible in their approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but you can not- still work within your exact paradigm, but even if you're just like, there's a little bit of flexibility within that paradigm, right? We're adding a bit of flexibility within like the exact strategies in the paradigm don't have to change necessarily. It's actually more about like your own internal reactions and because that's going to come out in the nonverbals, right? Like let's say someone's listening and they're trained in intuitive eating as a dietitian, like they literally from the outside perspective may not change much of anything, except maybe they're having a little bit more open dialogue about um, something that previously would have made them anxious. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just thinking about it, like uh, as a clinician, those nonverbals are so important. And I'm thinking uh, ever since we just recorded our last podcast, I've been thinking more about this. And I had a client who referenced a podcast that they listened to about Noom and how they kind of like were going off on how ridiculous Noom is and rolling their eyes and I easily could have just like and I, I think what this client needed was like a, a validation in in how she was feeling which is great I was able to do that but also uh being careful with my own language and saying like yeah Noom is absolutely not appropriate for some people and it sounds like for you it's not the right fit and for others it it might be you know and and even just use Using that language allows the patient to come back and say, oh, wait, if they decide maybe one day that they want to try Noom, they know they can talk to me because I don't have any mm-hmm. strong reactions. I realize that it's helpful for some and it's help- not helpful for others. Right, right. Versus if you were to be like, you're right, I hate Noom. <laughs> it's the worst. And they like, because it's tempting, right? Like sometimes I have felt yeah. like that when I tried Noom. And I did that little, like a while back. I think I told you, like I reviewed some like health products, but I, I tried, I tried Noom for like three days and I tried to be as unbiased as possible or we're all biased, but yeah, sometimes someone's pulling for that. Like, yeah, isn't it the worst? <laughs> like, gosh. And it's like, yeah, for well, some. <laughs> well, and I, I, 
I think in our last podcast that we just recorded, I said like, you know, one patient might come in saying like, Weight Watchers sucks. And you might say, yeah, it does suck. And another patient says it's so helpful. And you said, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, but I think we can add in this piece. And that's what I've been practicing doing ever since we recorded last session was just saying, wait a minute, let me validate the patient and say, yeah, it sounds like that's not really useful for you. And sure, it might be for other people, but we don't have to say it's definitively bad for all people. It's mm-hmm. that's promoting that all or nothing thinking, which may, it, in my mind, is has never been shown to be useful. Um, no, and I think that that's what, I mean, definitely social media. I, I'm so like, it's not just social media, though. I think it's just social media has exacerbated that natural human tendency to like look for danger and then label danger as bad and then stay safe from it. Like that's how our primal brains were developed and designed, right? And so we're like, everything associated with diet culture, anything that feels a little bit like that is dangerous. And then I'm going to keep myself emotionally safe, like how adaptive and protective to a point. But then what if part of you is like, but I might want to do something and I might want to dip my toe into like, cause everyone is going to do something that like to someone else might look like diet culture, right? Like and that's actually, I forget if it was after we hit, I think we stopped recording this other podcast I did where it was a health at every size dietitian. She was like, I used to be afraid to like, say I liked feeling sore, like, cause I was afraid that I would be labeled as like promoting excessive exercise. And like, wait, I'm allowed to like, enjoy that feeling in my legs. <laughs> like I'm, and, and so it becomes so rigid and and we're also afraid of definitely as a provider, but also I think people still are picking up on that. Like, I can't do that. That's diet culture. And it's a, it's a tricky balance because no one knows except you, like literally no one knows if it's rigid and restrictive except you. Um, you can, you can be cued in a little bit by language people use, but like some people use language of I feel addicted to fast food and therefore I never eat fast food and it does not feel restrictive to them. Yeah. Like it feels helpful to them. And maybe you want to help them get to a deeper level of peace where they maybe feel like they could have fast food. Maybe you want that. And maybe they don't want that. (laughs) Like maybe they're good with how they are and, and that's okay too. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where it comes to that flexibility of how a psychological flexibility of saying this for this patient, what they're saying is really functional for them. In ACT, we talk a lot about workability. So is this working for this patient? If it's working, okay, I don't have to get really stuck in my way of thinking and my way of feeling about a certain topic. I have to think about the functionality, the workability based on this context, the patient, their environment, what's working for them, what's not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I think the last message that I want people to know is that you and I, and all of us are on a journey, if you will, of learning and unlearning things about weight, eating and health, right? Like, and of course, all things like emotions, but like you, you, I, everyone's still learning. So each person and each provider is somewhere along that journey. And so to take someone in a snapshot of time and be like, 
well, they're bad and categorize them and write them off is you're missing out on these, these opportunities because by the look at things that I was writing in my blog as recently as two or three years ago, like I do, I've learned and I've shifted and do I need to go back and edit all my blog posts? Probably not. Like maybe I will eventually, but like, because it's okay to be on that learning journey. And we really want to meet people where they're at to say like, as a provider or as a person, like you're, you're okay. You're allowed. You're enough. It just as you are. And, and you and I have worked on that. I think in even having this conversation openly, cause we're like, we don't, we don't know enough yet. Like we gotta do more. We gotta be more informed. It's like, no, we don't have all the answers. And one of the big answers is having a safe space to, to process. So you can show up as the human you are imperfectly. And, um, and that helps other humans do the same thing. Love that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like we, we can't have all the answers. This world of eating and weight is way too complex. We're not we're always be, learning. We're always learning. Um, and everyone's body these are so different experiences, journeys with food, weight, their body. It's it's impossible to know it all. Um, and and I think, as you were saying, if we can stay open to learning and create a safe space where we all contribute to this conversation, we'll all learn so much more than if we separate ourselves out into different uh, groups that don't want to listen to each other right yes yeah and along that lines that is that is our goal we mentioned last time and we'll mention again that if you are interested as a um, therapist dietitian or help helping professional and learning more with us in some of these shame-free learning environments you can sign up to be notified whenever we got some we got lots of ideas under our sleeve up our sleeve that um that it may look like probably somewhat more of an experiential workshop, um, a discussion-based workshop. Uh, so at Dr. Hondorp, D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash workshop is just a way to sign up for that and get notified when that happens. Um, so we're very excited to, to share that with you. And it's always a, it'll be an iterative process as well of figuring out what exactly people want and need, um, and how we can support, but it's something we're super excited about. Mm -hmm. So, so thank you again for being here, Dr. Sapna Doshi. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. This is always so fun catching up with you on these topics. Yeah. Hey there. Thanks so much for joining us today. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this conversation and you want to hang out with Sapna and I, live, please join us for our workshop on Friday, April 21st from 12 p.m. Eastern time to 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, we, if that date has passed, you can also sign up at drhondorp.com forward slash workshop, or if you're not by the show notes to get the link to that workshop, um, feel free to just sign up there. We'll make sure to email everyone and uh, offer a link if, if you want to join us on Friday, April 21st. But like I said, if it's passed and you want to hang out with us, make sure you sign up so you're aware of future opportunities. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. 
despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.